Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, good morning, folks. You glad to be in church this morning? Yeah? We're going to start this morning uh, just a, a little bit different. And, um, and, and in part, that's because uh, our nation as a whole is experiencing something a little bit more somber on this Memorial Day weekend. I, I want to remind you very quickly of the importance of Memorial Day how it started, but I I want us to then consider what it is that we're supposed to be reflecting on as a church when tragedy is still hitting our nation. Memorial Day started um, by most accounts um, because two different groups of people were remembering their dead. There was a group of ex-slaves that had celebrated those who had gone and lost their life fighting for the Union. And they said they were going to be uncelebrated, and so this small tribe of people went out and laid flowers on the graves of those who had given their life for their freedom. In the South, something else interesting had happened. For a period of years, uh, a group of ladies from different places would go out at this time of year And they would lay flowers on the graves of those who had died. Regardless of what side they fought for, they laid flowers on the graves of both the blue and the gray. I think that's important for us. Memorial Day was born as a way to solve and to overlook division. That which divided us was placed second to the high cost of that division. But this Memorial Day, uh, our celebrations are threatened. In fact, they're threatened by this oppressive spirit that we feel. And it's possible that the tragedies that we're seeing in our United States aren't something that are driving us back to unity or to remember why Memorial Day was started. But on this very weekend, these harsh things that are happening in our communities threaten to divide us. We separate into our little tribes. We separate into our answers. We separate into if we only woulda, shoulda, or done this or that. uh, We divide instead of mourn. Short while ago, there was an author who was invited uh, to Virginia Tech when there was a shooting on that campus. He had just gone through personal tragedy. His family had uh, lived through Columbine. And he was asked to give some of his thoughts to a group of people that had recently experienced that and they were overwhelmed and hurting. He had uh, been in a car accident just a few months before that. He was in a neck brace even as he was delivering this address. And he said, one of the things that I experienced that has helped me be able to speak to you today was that car accident. He said, when I was laying there, Some medics came to me and they put a neck brace on and I was in horrible pain. But before they could give me anything for the pain, the doctor reached there to me and and began to poke at different parts of my body. And he says, can you feel this? Does it hurt? And he pokes him. 
And he said, yes, that hurts. And the doctor said, oh, that's good. Can you feel this? Yes, that hurts. Oh, that's good. Can you feel this? Yes, that hurts. Oh, that's good. This was his observation. He said, the sensation that I was feeling indicated that my spinal cord had not been damaged. Pain offered proof of life, of union. It was a vital sign that my body remained whole. Medicine falls helpless before a body that cannot feel. In grief, love and pain converge. He's speaking to this group now, and he says, though some of you had closer ties to victims than others, all of you belong to the same community, the same body as those who died. When that body suffers, you suffer. Remember that as you cope with the pain. Do not simply numb it. Acknowledge it as a sensation of life, as a sensation of love. Medical students will tell you that in deep wounds, uh, trauma of the tissue, the deep tissue must heal. The connective tissue beneath the surface and the outer protective layer of skin. The, the reason the church and other ministries are on campus offering counseling, once again he's speaking to that group, and they hold services like this one is to help that deep connective tissue heal. Only layer, later will a protective layer grow back in the form of a scar. We're supposed to feel and we're supposed to connect deeply before we let that scar form. What I want us to do this morning is as the church, as part of this nation, as part of those who were struck, some in this room, when your kids came home safely from school, you hugged them and interacted with them a little differently. You've been concerned about what's going on in our local schools and the way that we handle things. You have all kinds of opinions that are flooding that. But before we solve all of the skin level issues, we need to let the deep be spoken to. We gotta heal here. And the only one who has the answers for that is the living God. Romans chapter 12 tells us how we're supposed to respond. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in your spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those, get this, who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Verse 30, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. 
final statement from Paul here. Do not be conquered by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want us to take just a few moments and we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and I want you to imagine for a moment with sympathy these families that also many will be in a church this morning. Only their arms are empty and they're hungry to hear from God. Though we can't be there, we can join them in the pain and we can join them in prayer, which is no small thing. Amen? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Just for a moment, I want you to imagine you're alongside that mother or father, that grandparent, and I want us to collectively lift them up to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, this is a somber occasion and this is a somber weekend. For many of us, if we're honest, we forget the purpose of Memorial Day. It has become in our culture an opportunity for another barbecue, another family get together, an extended weekend. But there's a high value in remembering those who have paid a great cost. But also the purpose for this weekend is to set aside that which divides us and to weep with those who weep, to give thanks for even the pain. Life only hurts because you have given us the ability to love deeply. We hurt for those that right now have empty arms. We praise you, Father, that you are a God uh, that gathers children to himself. That is small comfort to those who have experienced this horrible situation in our own nation. Father, there are many things that threaten to divide us. I pray that wherever we are found, we will not repay evil for evil. That as much as it is up to us, we will live at peace with all men that we will pray and go to our knees to you and ask you to take care of vengeance. Ask you to take care of sorting between what is on the right or the left, the good or the bad. Father, we give it all to you. And we ask that you would help us not to act like the world does, not to meet evil with more evil, but to overcome evil with good. That starts on our knees. It starts by joining in the suffering. It starts with prayer. Father, we pray right now that you would help us to know how to minister to those that are broken. And we pray even as we worship today that you would help us to feel deeply those connections with our family, to give thanks that you have blessed us with another day with them. Help us to live righteous lives that focus on you and make a difference in a world that is desperate to see something different. Father, help us as we worship to know how to interact in a broken world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, once again, good morning, church. Are you glad to be here? Yeah. We have a place to go where we can, yeah, worship the Lord and uh, bring him not only our praise, but our pain. Um, this morning, I think that's gonna be an important observation. We're at the end of uh, our missions month, 
And so what I'd like us to do uh, is take a, a few moments to recap that uh, and then ask a, a question about why counseling would be a part of this missions month. But Pete, uh, you and I have done this a, a few times up here uh, yeah. this way. Why don't you just help us? Missions month was uh, uh, your baby this year. You helped kind of uh, put the, the weeks together. Uh, why don't you just give us a recap of what we were shooting for during the course of this month? Yeah. Well, the goal of Missions Focus is for us to come together as a church family and remember that we are called to be missional. We're called to be not just inward focused, but to be aware of what's going on around us. Yeah. And so the focus this year for uh, the month of May was to help us remember that participation in missions is a mark of a maturing faith. And uh, we've been talking at the beginning of the month about this vision that we've laid out for our church and that we believe that it's going to be through participation in the missional work that God has for our church that's going to prepare us to be able to carry out that vision uh, coming forward. Yeah, and so we've been able to interact with different groups that have come through, and we can see, uh, I think, pretty clearly the line to mission uh, with each of those groups. Uh, but this week, uh, we're covering biblical counseling. Why would biblical counseling be a part of our offering when we talk about Missions Month? Well, if we think about what missions is, it's going out and presenting ourselves to the Lord to say, Lord, use me to do your work, wherever that is. And oftentimes we think of missional work as being somewhere away from us, outside of our city limits. And so our church has, for now over a decade, been going around the world, participating with missions partners in places like India and Haiti, Guatemala, Latvia, Mexico, and others. Uh, and then we've also had these trips within our, our country, outside of our city, whether it be to Eastern Oregon to serve with the churches there or possibly down to the Navajo Reservation down in Arizona. I mean, we've been all over in those places. But one of the things that we believe on those trips is just say, here, Lord, here I am. Use me to forever, whatever you need to do. We talk about being flexible on a mission trip. But as our world continues to move closer to the return of our Savior, that missional work continues to get closer and closer and closer and the missional work that, uh, for, at one point, we'd say we need to go to those places that are impoverished, where people are hurting, where the gospel is not being clearly spoken, well, th that is now home. And there is a need for us to do that missional work, because that missional work that's at home is as great as that which is afar. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that used to stand out to me, we would uh, really have a strong dichotomy between um, foreign missions and local ministry. Uh, we used to put a pretty strong division there. And I can remember being impacted by uh, a man by the name of Hudson Taylor. I don't know how many of you know that story, but here's a man that didn't seem to have all that many skills when it came to evangelism or the ability to share his faith. And so he was expecting somebody else to go to China. But uh, when he was talking to a mission board about the need for those folks to be able to hear the gospel um, they didn't see the need. And so he said, well, I'll, I'll go. And he, with great passion, ends up going to China. But when he landed there, he didn't have much of an effect until something changed in him. He began to look at what was happening in that culture, and he saw that they couldn't really identify with him because he was coming to them from a different culture altogether and looked like them, sounded like them, and was saying, you need to think like me. And it was a problem. Mm -hmm. So he ends up uh, dressing like them, working with them, 
and participating with them in everyday life. He takes on their culture. And after he did that, Hudson Taylor was able to begin to share the gospel with those individuals. He had to identify and see that culture. Um, When we talked about foreign missions in the past, what we've done with missionaries that are going out is we spend a lot of time talking to them about the culture they're about to land in. Something unique has happened since, I think, uh, 2012 in the United States. The invention of the cell phone and social media. We now can just gather with people who think like us, look like us, sound like us. We cut ourselves off from other ways of thinking in the world, and even in our own culture of the United States, we are a mystery to our neighbors or people who don't think like us. And so biblical counseling, in my opinion, is training missionaries that are going right here in this culture. Like Hudson Taylor had to find a way to look and sound like those individuals so he could invite them to Christ. We have forgotten how to reach our neighbor because we are preaching at them as if they look and sound and think like us. Mm. But we've forgotten that. And so I think this month, is, it's a great capstone to have biblical counseling because biblical counseling teaches us not only the scripture that they need, but how to re- look at our culture yeah, and engage the, them. One of the things that you did last week when we highlighted Addictions Victory and uh, Street Ministry was uh, you, you asked people to stand who were impacted by addiction and yeah. just really, I think, brought physical representation that it, it touches a lot of lives. Uh, some of you in the room might know this, but um, a study even published this last February, 2022, by OHSU identified that Oregon is in the top four in the country as far as having mental health issues. Yeah. Um, the state is just identifying the fact that care is not available, counselors are not available, counselors are leaving the profession. And so yeah. we have this growing rate of need for... Uh, what, what the secular world would just kind of label as maybe mental health, we know that there's a spiritual component that is the heart of the issue. For sure. Um, but our, our world is hurting. Our state is hurting. Salem is hurting. And right now, if you tried to find counseling for help, um, whether it's pastoral counseling, secular counseling, or biblical counseling, um, you are looking at a, probably a minimum of five to six months before you're going to see a counselor. Now imagine whatever you might be facing and how hard that pain might be and even getting the bravery and the courage to actually say, I'm willing to ask for help. But that is probably at the peak of what you feel like this can't get any worse and being told, we can't see you for five or six months. Yeah. What does that person do? And so I think the church has been uniquely gifted with hope and truth that comes from a God That's who cares yeah. And I think he's going to call us to be a light and hope yeah. to this world. Yeah, in fact, we picked a scripture that kind of uh, centers our, the rest of our discussion this morning. Why don't you read that to us? Yeah, when we uh, talked about, a couple weeks ago, we had uh, some friends here, and you talked about uh, an Old Testament name for God, El yeah. Roy, the, the God who sees. And, and this verse just, uh, this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, gives us another description of who God is. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Mm -hmm. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, 
so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Yeah, that is a powerful uh, passage. Um, it's a good guide for us this morning. Let me ask you a couple questions, just kind of like uh, we did with our other teams that were up here. Yeah. Um, and uh, for those of you that don't know, Pete has been helping our counseling team. Uh, he's been kind of our lead dog that's, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, has nothing to do with your looks, man. It's, uh, he's helping uh, our team, our counseling team, stay connected with what's going on in the church, and our church stay connected with them. He's been doing an amazing job, and so he's here representing uh, the counseling team as a whole. But if you were going to sum up for us, what is biblical counseling? We've given some little shots at that right now in our opening uh, discussion. But what is biblical counseling? Well, I, I think it's probably good for us to start with what it's not. Because when I came into the ministry yeah. here at the church seven years ago, I was invited to participate in the beta track of our counseling training. Mm -hmm. It was We were just getting ready to launch it officially and... Some of our staff took it, and um, I had a lot of preconceived notions about what counseling was that immediately, in my own mind, disqualified me from being a counselor. Yeah. I can point to multiple times in my life where I claim to be disqualified that God has thrust me in. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's just let that sit in the room for a minute. Say. Yeah. Be careful what you say. Yeah. I'm not. That's not for me. Yep. Um, but here's what biblical counseling is not. It's not offering answers or taking away the pain. We were talking this week about yeah. the tragedy in Texas. What, what do you offer those families? Yeah. Now, the people that come to you in biblical counseling situations or any kind of mentorship or just care are asking for answers, and they want to know immediately how to take away the pain, and oftentimes we don't know. But to say, but that's not what we're called to. And in fact, um, it's actually harmful. It can be harmful if we just try to focus on the problem and the answer. Yeah. If we try to identify the sin that caused the, the issue or the trauma or the effect. Um, while sin is the, the crux of the issue, it's what we have to address and it has to be spoken about. Um, what counseling actually is, is coming alongside somebody and offering them comfort. It's offering them biblical wisdom and it's offering them hope yeah. um, when they are broken and hurting. I, I think it's super important at the very beginning. Verse 3 highlights that. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Um, it doesn't say the Father of all answers. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the problems that we have is we crave an answer. Or when we see somebody's hard situation... Empathy forces us to instantly say, God, why did this happen to them? Mm. Or why did they have this tragedy coupled with this tragedy and this tragedy? So rarely does one tragedy happen to a family. You know, they, they run in threes. They just always seem to multiply. Right. And we want to have an, an answer for that. I think we get, um, I think that one of the problems that we have when addressing our world is we think that what they want are answers. That's not counseling. That's apologetics. I do think there's a time for apologetics, but if you've ever had an incredible loss or you've ever had a terrible diagnosis, you've had to endure the people who came to you with all the answers. All right? They come to you and tell you why 
you have that problem. You don't want that. That's apologetics. There may be a place for that. Yeah. It's not in that moment. Now, also, physicians, I think that opening illustration I used with our, our team, sometimes doctors come and they know, I can't take away the pain right now because pain is useful for me to help you diagnose what you, you have to live with the pain for a moment to know that you're alive. They can help take that away. There's a place for that, but that's medical. I, the ultimate goal of a counselor is to help get people to that place. So. Yeah. We, uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, our, our church offers uh, biblical counseling to our, our people who attend yeah. our church, but also to the community at large. And we have over 25 Salem hiders who have been trained to come alongside people and to serve in that way. Um, they are not paid. They, that's one of the ways they serve the Lord and they serve the local church and this community. Uh, we offer that biblical counseling free um, to, the, to, our, to our community. And, um, and yet this, the need for it continues to grow, especially through uh, the pandemic. It was one of the ministries here that we maintained yeah. the entire time, and it's only gone up in the need for that. Yeah. But if we were to try to come alongside everyone who's coming to us looking for help, looking for answers, who is broken and in pain, and just try to offer them answers, um, none of our staff is qualified to do that. Yeah. Because there are, there, there are things that happen that only God knows. Why? Yeah. But he has pointed us to Scripture and has given us comfort um, through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit in our lives, where he's called us to come alongside those who are hurting. And so um, there's, yeah. a, there's a book we're actually going to have our counselors read. Every summer, our biblical counseling team has been kind of spending time investigating their own souls, making sure that yeah. they're healthy enough to come alongside somebody else. And, and the book that we're going to be having them go through this summer is going to be just kind of asking them some questions. But the book kind of highlights the fact that a counselor is not called to be an answer man, but an encourager. It says this, we live in a fallen world, and it often falls on us. Biblical counselors gladly assume the role of encouragers to help a friend crushed by the weight of the world. As the Good Samaritan paused his journey and bloodied himself to care for a stranger's suffering body, so soul caregivers move near to enter the mess and muck of a friend's suffering soul. When we respond like this to suffering, counselees, we become to them a small picture of the infinite care of Christ. That's and so the, the biblical counselor is an encourager, someone who comes alongside and says, let me share with you the comfort that I've experienced from the Lord that I believe can give you hope. So, so let's just dig into that a little bit more when we talk about what does a biblical counselor do. Yeah. Um, you have these folks, and, and uh, everyone needs to know, yeah, you got 25 so, or so folks that are already doing this. They're not just sitting around. Uh, they're booked full. Like we have folks everywhere that are taking advantage of that opportunity. What are they doing? What are they uh, actually, uh, how are they ministering? Yeah, so we're, we're currently, we are serving in a capacity of over hundreds of hours of counsel done every month for men yeah. and women, married couples. That's in addition to the counseling that our pastoral teams yeah. do, that you and I do, that our staff does. So um, we're, we're doing that. But they the first thing that they're doing is they're coming alongside. And, and yeah. there's a word in the scripture that describes the Holy Spirit um, who is called a counselor. Um, in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit whom he was going to have the Father send once Jesus left. And, he, and the word that's used there in the Greek for the Holy Spirit is paraclete. And it, it literally means to come alongside and support. And so the Holy Spirit was going to come alongside to be a wonderful counselor, yeah. someone that was going to come alongside. And now there's a couple of other words in the Bible that are used to describe counseling. 
Another word in the Greek is nuthetic. Um, and the idea of nuthetic counseling is when you are looking to confront sin in someone's life with the hopes that they will change. And for a long time, biblical counseling was kind of built around this idea of nuthetic counseling, this idea that we're going to try to identify the sin problem, the idol in your life, and we're going to address it biblically so that you can become healthy, you know, removed from that sin. But what's interesting is if you just look at a comparison of how many times counseling is referred to as paraclete versus nuthetic, it's, uh, nuthetic's only used 11 times in the New Testament, yeah. whereas paraclete is used over 110 times in the New Testament. So just by comparison, if you talk about how to come alongside someone, uh, we see just it's a striking comparison that, yes, there is a time to deal with the sin. But more often than not, when you see how Christ approached and how Christ came along, those who were sin, sick, and broken, he came alongside as a paraclete, someone who came alongside not condemning, but to offer them comfort and hope without, without condoning their sin. It's powerful. I think when we were talking about this, we highlighted what's the name for Christ, uh, even when you're talking about the arrival of the Messiah, but the name in Isaiah, uh, all through the Old Testament, he was going to be a man of sorrows or he was going to be the suffering servant, but he's somebody who joins into our suffering, joins us right there. That's how he was known, not the confronting spirit, not the, and, and he even highlights that, that he didn't come to you know, destroy to condemn, yeah. but save them through his own sacrifice. We're just joining in Christ's work when right. we do that. And so because that is the call yeah. to come alongside, then the job once we come alongside and are in the presence of a person who's hurting or broken, um, we really just have two responsibilities of biblical counselors. One is to highlight the scriptures that give language to the pain. Because throughout the scriptures, we see we see uh, something spoken from the psalmist or from the prophets or from uh, the apostles, from Christ himself that, that speaks to the reality of pain. Why do we experience pain? Where does it come from? And we see that it's, it's common to man to go through suffering and that the Bible gives us a language but also gives us a response. What do we do when we, re- when we experience that pain? So the, the biblical counselor is just to use Scripture to say, here, I, I can empathize with you. I can sympathize with you. And you're not alone in feeling this way. Maybe that you're going through pain and you're like, where is God? Why has he allowed this to happen? Is he even aware of this? Scripture speaks to all that. Some of the people, David, a man after God's own heart, um, in, in Psalm 13 says, how long, O Lord? Yeah. How long? I mean, what are you waiting for? Why are you doing this? And so we can see that, but it also then, this, the biblical counselor is supposed to point to where comfort, wisdom, and hope can be found. And that is ultimately not in what I can give you as my counsel, but in Jesus Christ. He is the only answer that can meet you in the mess and in the muck. I think that's the most powerful thing. And, and I think uh, the highlight that we want to make sure we're, we're grabbing onto is we want to give language to the pain, but we want to give biblical language yes. to the pain. Um, I would look up Psalm 13, and I would, even as you're looking around at our world and you're looking at problems, even our own community, or things that you're facing in your life, that question, how long, O Lord, sits on the page very heavy, Yep. all right? How long, Lord, are you going to just let this go on? Scripture says those words and identifies that you, at times, are feeling those things and doesn't run from that pain. Now, he gives... Uh, at times a solution, other times it just gives full flower to the pain, brings it out and exposes it to the Lord and says, Lord, you have to deal with this. But all the way through the scripture, the answer is, Lord, only you have the answer. And if there isn't an answer to the pain, it just exposes all of the pain 
And right there, your emotion is laid before the Lord, and he is the one that then has to carry it. We're, we're giving it to him, even in that heavy language. Uh, we had a, just a discussion about kind of, you know, how do we see this working out? And I, I was telling you, one of the things I see in my mind when we talk about counseling, giving language to the pain and then making sure they know what to grab onto. Uh, picture two people, if you would, that are in an overturned boat. One of them knows how to swim, has had some lifeguard training. The other one does not. That boat is capsized. They're in the water. They both pop up to the surface. And the one individual that can swim and has some training is looking at the other one who is flailing around. The clothes are getting heavy. They're overwhelmed by their circumstances. They're about to go down. Giving language to the pain sounds like, hey, you're panicking. What you're feeling right now is panic. You're thrashing around, but that's actually causing you to lose energy and you're about to go down. I need you to listen to my voice. I need you to settle down and I'm gonna give you a direction to go. Language to the pain. Secondly, then where are we gonna hang on to? Don't swim to me and grab onto me. A lot of us have a savior complex, right? But two people drowning is not better than one, right. all right? Don't swim to me. I'm not the answer. There's a rope right there. They've thrown it from that lifeboat. They're ready to help you. You're going to grab onto this rope, so settle down. I'm going to help you get there. I'm going to come alongside and swim you to the answer, but you're hanging on to something that is not me and take them to that mm -hmm. place. So biblical counseling is giving language to what they're feeling. Hey, this is what you're feeling. This is normal, but it's not helping you. Let me get you to the answer so that you can get to safety. And you begin to show them scriptural answers, where the lifeline is. It's tied to the throne of grace. It's tied to the living God. And he pulls them out of the mess. But we're calming the situation and pointing them to the answer. And the answer is not us. If you were holding back from joining up or studying what is going on with biblical counseling because you were afraid you weren't smart enough, you didn't have the answers or you couldn't enter in, if you can join next to a person and say, I'm hurting with you, this is what you're feeling, and you can point to a scripture, if you've ever been in pain and have been comforted by the word, we're just asking you to join us in getting a little more trained to get people to the right rope. Mm. What can they hang on to? And in different situations, you gotta swim a little differently. Sometimes you gotta pull them, you know? You yeah. gotta get training for a particular scenario, but it's always going to the Lord who's already cast the line for them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so Pete, help us as we kind of try to land this due to our time here. Yeah. Um, why should the, the church in general be concerned with biblical counseling? Well, I, as I mentioned before, if you go around anywhere in Salem right now and try to find a counselor, um, you're going to find a wait. And the same is true for Salem Heights Church. Yeah. Even though we have all these people that we think, man, 25 is a lot of people who are taking time in their lives to come and counsel. It is. Yeah. Um, but that, that need is growing, and we need more folks. Yeah. Um, but we also, I think the strategy has to start with not just raising up people to meet the need, but it's continuing to be a church that looks at fulfilling the one another care of Scripture. Yeah. That we all can come alongside one another and encourage each other with the word of God. And, and as, as we as a church are spiritually healthy, ministering to one another, that it gives us, that enables us to be able to help those outside of our church who need that help. Yeah. But I think the church should be concerned about this, that we as a church should be looking at this as one of our missional areas because 
I think it makes us more like Christ. I mean, multiple times in the Gospels, we see that Jesus comes upon a group of people or a group of people come upon him and he is aware of them and, he, and it speaks to their pain. In Matthew 9, it says one time that Jesus saw the crowds and he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like a sheep without a shepherd. Mm-hmm. That was Jesus. When people yeah. came around, he saw beyond what they thought was their greatest need and he actually saw what they needed most and he cared about it. That word compassion yeah. means down in the depths of his soul, he cared. I don't believe, I've been on the team for about seven years. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's been anything more impactful than my participation in this ministry. Yeah. It has grown my heart as a shepherd to be more sympathetic than I naturally am to yeah. the, the hurts of other people. It has made me more skilled in my own life, to see God's word apply to my hurts and my brokenness and the pain that inflicts, inflicts me. It has allowed me to know how to use God's word as a pastor and as just a brother in the Lord to come alongside and be able to just offer help to someone who's hurting. And I can tell you, nine times out of 10, maybe 10 out of 10, I step into a situation where they him, Pastor Pete, will you help me? And I'm going, Lord, I don't feel equipped. I don't know how to help them. Yeah. I don't know how to take away their pain. That's super and what important. I've learned is that that is not what I'm called to do. Yeah. I've come alongside and to first make myself available just to care. And then to offer a hope that comes from the scriptures, the hope that has comforted me, and just say, I'm willing to walk alongside as we seek what the Lord is going to do in this together. And so I think the church, if we want to be like Christ, it would be unloving for us to live in Salem, Oregon in 2022 and not care about the world around us. How could we be loving as a church if we didn't actually care about the hurts of those around us? That would be so inward focused. That would not be like Christ. Where he went, he wasn't just focused on his own followers. He was focused on all those who needed help. But the second thing, and we've talked about this a lot, as we want to fulfill this vision and we want to be a church that reaches out and evangelizes, spreads the good news of Jesus Christ, because over every physical ailment, the spiritual condition is the most important issue that man is facing. They need to hear about the saving work of Jesus Christ through the gospel. I believe counseling will be a major way, a major avenue of evangelism moving forward. Yeah. I think we both have identified that it's probably going to be the tip of the spear as we look at uh, how we're going to engage a culture If you think about what we used to be able to do to invite people to a church and say, hey, we want to tell you about Christ, there was a season and there was a culture that was accepting of that. But right now, many people look at a church as they're going by, and if they aren't already in it, they don't look at that place and say, those people get me or are concerned about me. But they do have a neighbor who loves Jesus, all right? That's you. They do have somebody who is settled and thoughtful and connected. That's you. They already have a voice that's speaking to them. And the question is, will you take a, a moment to be able to walk alongside them in their pain and then point them to Jesus? If you do, at any point, you're counseling. You're pointing them to the Savior. You are, you are walking alongside them to comfort them and to bless them. That's counseling. What we're saying is, we'd love to help you even get more refined in that in those discussions, uh, how to have those discussions, but also more settled. That shouldn't be a scary place for us to go. 
Our world is hurting. They need somebody to walk alongside them and point them to the real answers. And that's, that evangelistic push, I believe, is going to come out of counseling, not out of big events. Yeah. I would so. just wrap up with this. This whole month, our desire has not been that each one of you would participate in every single opportunity that's been presented. Yeah. We, we had Compassion Sunday. I, I was given the uh, uh, report this week that we had over 100 kids sponsored by our church. Yeah. Yeah. To put that into perspective, they typically, Compassion would say, a good Sunday for a church our size would be somewhere between 10 and 20 sponsorships. Yeah. Okay. We've had then Agape, and I'm getting reports from Agape, Andy, and Faith, just how they were ministered to by being a part of that service. Had more people sign up to serve at Agape camps this summer, come and visit them about the mentorship program they're trying to start and connect with local churches. Some of you did that. We've had uh, so many baby bottles taken away and change I know is being filled up and being brought back to support Hope Pregnancy Center. We've had all these different opportunities. I mean, just the, the responses we got last week from uh, Street Ministry, Be Bold, and Most Excellent Way, and the people that want to get involved, and how many people showed up on Monday night. Yeah. Like, you are all responding as the Lord has moved you, and that's what we want. Not one person should be doing all the work. That's why we're a body. Yeah. But some of you in here, God is going to use you, use your story to come alongside other people who are hurting, and appoint them, not as an expert, but point them to the same comfort that you have found from Jesus Christ. Being a biblical counselor does not mean that you're an expert and that you have all the answers or all the training. It just says, I'm willing to show up and be used by the Lord. And so we're asking some of you to consider possibly coming and being a part of our biblical counseling team. You can come see me. Um, you can, we can talk about the different trainings we have. But ultimately, we want to be a church that says we are looking out for one another and we're looking out for those in the world that are hurting, that God has placed in our path and he's calling us to care about. Yeah. Uh, where will you be after the service? Since they all are going to want to sign up immediately. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll stand up here lonely maybe for a little bit yeah. and then I'll go hunt people down that are avoiding eye contact. So. No, you know what? Yes. We're not going to twist arms. God, is, God continues to meet the need and our counselors, I, what I loved about that opening quote our counseling team, even though we are, we are booked, we're yeah. packed, they gladly serve. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of serve. Wherever you're going to be planted, um, we want you to serve with gladness. And so if God's moving you and you feel ill-equipped, so did I. Don't let that stop you. Come talk to me and we'll see if this is what God might be having you do to participate in ministry here at Salem yeah. Heights. All right. Let's give thanks for that. Amen. Father, we, uh, we thank you. And we ask that you would help us to join in, that you would help us to see the needs around us, uh, that there would be a sense in which uh, we're not just watching, uh, we're not just angry, we're not just from the sidelines shouting out answers or trying to give out uh, painkillers. Father, that's not what you ask us to do. Uh, You ask us to enter in, just as Christ did, uh, a man of sorrows walking alongside us, weeping, uh, even though he has the answer to death, but weeping with those who weep. Father, help us to be like our Savior, to join in, uh, to participate, to bless, 
And I pray there, there are some that are here today that are saying, I need to be a part of that ministry in some way. Uh, Father, I pray that you'd give them the ability to just say, I, I want to sign up. I want to investigate that. Uh, for others, they're put next to a neighbor that is in deep need. I pray that you would give them not just courage, but Father, the compassion to speak up, to meet that need, and to be a picture of Christ to them. We pray that you'd advance the gospel through this ministry, that people would come to a knowledge of Jesus because of this. And we thank you that you've given us an opportunity to put him on display in this way. Give us grace, we pray, to do it well. In Jesus' name, amen.